0: I mean, when you look at defining success, I just think it's interesting because when you can truly look back and there are no regrets, Mm -hmm. I think that's successful. Mm -hmm. All right, take a player that doesn't reach his potential, but he still did things that helped the team win. Or you take a player that got beat out and made the guy that beat him out better because of his desire for the team to win. Mm -hmm. And you get a group of players that really give up their individual accolades for the team and play very unselfish, that's success. That's it. I mean, for us to go out there and overachieve and have zero regrets, it's a very successful year for us. Once a player becomes the starter, he's earned the right to start, now he earns the right to fail. Yep. And what that means for me is... You go 0 for 8, but you earned it through the fall, through the early spring, through the first three weeks of the season. If that player is looking over his shoulder thinking that he's going to be pulled out of the game because he went 0 for 8, you're not getting the max out of it. So he's already earned that right. Let him be that.
1: You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now, here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger, Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our calls from the Clubhouse Podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. We're back in your earbuds and inside of your Automobile University speakers this week, connecting with the head coach of one of the most iconic college baseball programs in the country. And it ranks easily as one of my favorite interviews thus far. We appreciate each of you dialing in with us. And we're gonna crack that interview open here real soon. First with the reminders to subscribe, review and share. These are the keys inside of the podcasting world. Subscribe to the show on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Follow the links on Twitter or on our website or find us wherever podcasts are free. Leave us a review on there. Five-star ratings are always appreciated. Plus, share this show with your baseball circle. Could be other coaches, friends, even your players could find ways to get better with these shows, and we appreciate all of your help on those fronts. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, ABCA.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at ABCA.org. Huge shout-out to my great friend over at Ellsworth Community College, Travis Aker. Also, rising rock star Will Lucas and Josh Vandermark up at Lords University and my dude Brian Ryman from Lipscomb University all dialing into the show, helping those road trips or recruiting trips fly by. We appreciate the love, fellas. Coach Motch down at Malden High School in South Carolina, Kyle Watson over at Keller Central High School in Texas, they were just out there working on their fields, little mowing, little edging, and challenging themselves to grow. Awesome stuff, guys. And we got to take a second and recognize our guy, Dawson Moser, GA over at Arkansas Monticello, becoming a first-time listener this past week. And what a great time to welcome you into this brotherhood of learners, Dawson. Thanks for jumping on with us. Keep those tweets and messages coming in. You guys are the very best. And we look forward to hearing from each of you really soon. Also, a huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. And they want to make sure that we all know about their new Quattro Pro Bat. Now this is a collision of their very best technologies. It's a combination of a newly constructed inner barrel, which offers a larger sweet spot. We're all not gonna complain about that. A faster, more balanced swing while at the same time eliminating barrel drag through the zone. And that's all thanks to the stiffer focused flex from the redesigned collar assembly. Now they're so confident in this bat's performance that Rawlings is backing it with a 30 day performance guarantee. That ensures that if the hitter isn't satisfied after hitting it for 30 days, they can send it back. Now, it's available in multiple weights and links, and you can check out all the new Quattro Pro Bats and the entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com, and we hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. Episode 102 takes us down to one of the baseball hotbeds around the country. We touch down in Austin, Texas, to connect with proud ABCA member and University of Texas head coach, David Pierce. We're going to talk through his journey in baseball, and there are some terrific reflections from 30 years in the dugout from David on this one. This was special for us since Coach Pierce and his staff are going to be jumping up on the main stage in Dallas for our upcoming ABCA National Convention there in January. And David opens up some great insight into the program there at UT, how he measures success, and how he has grown as a leader throughout the years. Now, a dime that comes from this interview was Coach Pierce offering that they knew exactly what the expectations were coming to Texas, and instead of working around them, they completely embraced them. It's powerful stuff waiting for you on this interview. And again, there's great humility on the line here, tremendous perspective throughout the call, and some certified audio gold from Coach Pierce into this year's club coming off their run to Omaha in only his second year at the helm. We're also diving into what the future holds for the Longhorns. So instead of us pulling up buckets, We're going to hop up on a couple of steers. We're going to take them through the middle of downtown Austin as we connect with the University of Texas head coach, David Pierce, on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. coaches thanks for dialing into our calls from the clubhouse podcast what a great opportunity today to connect with the head coach at the university of texas been a huge fan of this guy for a number of years and finally had opportunity to get him on the call and we're going to talk through his career in baseball and what's going on there at ut coach david pierce coach pierce thanks for jumping on the call with us
0: appreciate you having me uh it's an honor to be on the show Just been involved in the association for so many years so really cool
1: to be a part of this. That's outstanding. Well, I have to tell you, man, you are the only the second representative from the University of Texas to come on here. The last was the late Augie Garrido. So it's a great way to uh, for you to walk into those shoes. And we're going to talk about Texas. We're going to talk about the baseball program. We're going to talk about what's going on. We're also going to talk about your career. But where we start, as you just mentioned, being part of the ABCA. Now, that's a staple of this program. We only try to get on guys who are loyal inside our association, and find out exactly, Coach Pierce, if you could, your experience over the years, attending convention, being part of that, obviously just getting the opportunity to jump up on the main stage there in Dallas this January, but also how's the ABCA affected your growth as a coach? Can you open that up?
0: Oh, no problem. Uh, I, I'll say this. As a young coach, I used to go only to the Texas clinics because I just didn't know enough about them. Uh, the ABCA. And then as I got into college, we didn't have regulations as far as start dates. Mm. So in my early years in college, I missed a lot of the shows because you would come back after the first of the year and you would start right into in uh, season. Sure. And so the start date has created that little void and gosh, I'm glad. <laughs> I think the start date's a, probably a week too late, but yeah. it gives us an opportunity to have that fraternity back together. And that's what I've always enjoyed about the clinic and being able to go and listen to a speaker and pick up something that can help your program. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may be another way of saying the same thing. It may be a, a, a different drill that will really touch a player that he actually understands it. Or it may be just confirmation of what you do and you like your way not to say that the, the speaker's way is wrong, but mm-hmm. it gives you confirmation of what you do. It also allows you to look at what are your facilities and how can you um, engage in, in a player and, and insert this type of drill within the facilities that you have. And yeah. being a former high school coach, it's different. You know, it's much different than you know at a university where you have all the batting cages and you got plenty of baseballs and <laughs> You lose some. Of, you, you actually lose some of your imagination yeah, sure. um, when you're in a Division One with, uh, with great resources. I know back in my high school days we had to be very creative, but all of those things happen when you're at the clinic. And then the fellowship. Um, I love talking to coaches. I love just laughing with coaches and being a part of that fraternity. So it's always been a huge piece of me, and I'm glad that I'm able to go every year now. That's awesome.
1: Well, you better be there in Dallas uh, because we've already got you slotted to speak.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. We're actually going to do something a little different. Yes, go into that. About it. It's, uh, you know, there's so many conventional speakers where, you know, you might hear four or five guys talk about hitting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll get into this, I think, uh, as we get a little deeper in the podcast. But uh, the one thing that's unique about our staff is that we've been together since day one. So, I'm actually going to put them on the stage with me, and we're going to do a little q and I'll see, kind of check my uh, moderating skills, see if I can handle it, but uh, try, to, try to attack Sean and Philip and Phil and uh, kind of engage them with the crowd.
1: That's so cool. Well, you mentioned your career in baseball. You talked about starting on the high school level where you uh, got rolling around 1989. And I just want to put this in perspective for our listeners, and David, I want you to take this in the great spirit. 89, you started your career. I was eight years old. But that's why you're on the call, (laughs) because I want to get your perspective and your experience. I want to learn from you today. But what's really cool, again, you started on the high school level. You are an assistant coach at Episcopal. You had a couple tours as a head coach in the high school ranks. And like you mentioned, man, the the ability to look at your facility and get creative and think outside the box, and then obviously working your way up through college baseball. Take us into your career in baseball. And the cool part about this question is, what was the lesson you learned at every single stop along the journey?
0: Well, let's talk about this, because – the word process is used so much within teams now Mm -hmm. and it's, it's very, uh, it's it's very valid. Yeah. But there's a process in a growth period that you go through as a coach. Uh, I finished playing in 85, went in the business world for two or three years, really kind of unsure what I was going to do. And I was working for my former coach, Roland Walton in the business world. And uh, I needed 24 more hours. I went back to school and I was so fortunate. One of my former coaches was the athletic director at our alma mater in Houston, um, St. Pius High School. Mm-hmm. And he hired me. Uh, my first job, I was the head baseball coach. Uh, I had five history classes, and I was the offensive backs coach on the varsity. And <laughs> I just turned 25 years old. <laughs> and you're talking about just Welcome just to the show. <laughs> Well, honestly, I was probably one to two pages ahead or behind my history students uh, every single day, sure. and uh, usually usually behind, mm-hmm. um, but you you learn that process, so you roll in, and 1989 is my first job, and I'm a head coach, and I just felt so comfortable the first day I did it, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do, but mm-hmm. quick story, so being a young coach, I'm looking at our field coaching football and there's grass is growing through the dirt and i'm like jeez i go in to coach i said coach who's who's supposed to take care of this dirt you know we've got weeds growing in there he said the keys to the tractor are right there you are and i had no idea i had no idea how to drive a tractor but you had to learn all that so it. from a to z you learn that and that was the thing that you know i appreciated uh, the little things that took place in, in 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 the everyday environment of coaching and coaching baseball. And, mm-hmm. and then we had great kids and all. But, you know, I can go through every one of them. But I had left there after two years, went to Rice as a restricted earnings coach, made $6,000 a year yeah. as the number two assistant, which is considered that now. So very difficult year, but an awesome year. And then I went back to high school, and I was at Episcopal High School for I went there for a year expecting to be there one year and ended up being there four years. Mm -hmm. Great experience, great people. And a lot of influential people in the city of Houston that are still friends of mine. And I just continued to want more. I was the assistant coach with Chris Russ, who I thought was a great baseball guy, a very good friend. Mm -hmm. And I got an opportunity, a big five, a out of Adobe high school in uh, Pasadena was there five and a half years. And so when I turned 37, Rainer Noble gave me an opportunity at the University of Houston. And that only happened because I was so involved in the camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be a part of my alma mater. I played at Houston. And there was just so many things that fell into place. And he took a chance on a high school coach. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Sure. I had two sure. great years there. I was very happy. I was running the offense, uh, coaching the outfielders. And uh, I get an opportunity to go. Coach for Wayne Graham. And for nine years, I was with Coach, and yeah. uh, so many stories and so many great things. We we're in Omaha, four out of nine, won a national championship. So, very, very few days that were dull around Wayne Graham, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's another, you know, just another opportunity to move on and uh, became a head coach at Sam, mm-hmm. Tulane, and then now to Texas. That's outstanding.
1: Are there, can you look back, especially those early years, are there, are there, Lessons that maybe jump off at each spot, and, and always it could be working with that person, working with that AD or that principal or that head coach that you're like, Man, I learned this and I've always held on to it. Can you point to anything?
0: I'll say this leaving high school from Dolby High School and going to Houston, I thought that I didn't know anything about baseball when I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the simple fact, the game, not the actual game, but the, the annual schedule, understanding. Um, you know the off season, the in season. I had always coached other sports, uh, scouting reports, how to get scouting reports from other teams, how to um, sure. just manage manage working every Saturday and Sunday. So you, you you adapt your schedule around your family, and your family has to get consumed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at Rice, I'll tell you, there's no doubt the thing I learned from Coach Graham more than any X's and O's is just really how to prioritize how to win, mm. um, really prioritizing what matters. If you look back when you coach in high school, you got potentially three teams, maybe four teams. So we had 60 kids in our program and I had to keep them busy. Yeah. And so we had <laughs> a lot of busy work. Yeah. And it was, it was quality busy mm-hmm. work, but at, at times it was, it was not priority of winning. It was much more about being, being active in and yeah. making sure the practice looked organized and all. And yeah. there's a piece there that's important. That structure is very important, but it, it there's so many other things that you've got to slow down sometimes and isolate what matters. Mm-hmm. And I thought coach did a great job of that. But when I left and went to Sam Houston state, it was my first head job in division one. Yeah. And I had to take a step back after being a position coach and understanding what do I want to be here? Do I want to be a, do I want to be the position coach slash head coach, or do I want to trust the guys that work for me, help them be an extension for them, be a resource for them Mm -hmm. and really focus much more on the team and allow them to have ownership. And that's what we did. And early on it was difficult because, you know, I was always hands on. I was always in my group work and it, but I had to take a step back and actually manage.
2: Yeah.
0: And it was—it's a complete different job. There's no doubt. I, I always find it interesting when assistant coaches want to be a head coach, and sometimes there's so many head coaches wouldn't mind going yeah. going back and just being a <laughs> being a position coach. That's true. I worked with the U.S. I worked with the USA group this summer uh, in Chicago for a week, and it was just nice coaching. Mm-hmm. You know. Don't get me wrong; I'm not complaining. Yeah, but <laughs> For sure. But at the same, yeah. But at the same time, it's a different role, and yeah. I think you have to understand that. And that's what I learned there.
1: We we've talked on this podcast through multiple guests, David. Is that um, and I even lived it as a as a young assistant coach. You're craving that head coaching job, but you just don't realize the percentages are in your favor as an assistant. I mean, it's let's, let's call it 10 ten. Ninety percent of your time's on baseball, ten percent's administrative, and then. You become a head coach. You're like, hey, this is great. This is all I do. I got a better paycheck. I got benefits now. But yeah, now it's now it's ten ninety, you know. And, and yeah. I, now your baseball there's, there's fixes no doubt. flip.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's much more about management. It's much more about. I'm glad I have a minor in psychology. I should have a major in psychology. Yeah, a masters. Should, <laughs> a masters, no doubt. But um, it, it, I love it though. I, I love the management side of it, and I think a lot of that has to do with my age as well um going through that process as an assistant coach I think is critical for yeah. for guys to become yeah. head coaches um and there's a lot of great head coaches that never was a an assistant yeah. coach but yeah. what I liked yeah. what I liked about it is I liked the fact that I was in the in, in the cage with that one on one with that player making a difference mm-hmm. And just watching his eyes light up or something that you just saw a light switch going. And and now you, man, you pulled so hard for your guy. And when he had success, it was just fun to
1: watch. That's it. That's it. Well, you talked about being in the business world. So maybe there was a moment where... Uh, maybe you're at your desk. I'm, I'm envisioning this moment. You're at your desk. You want. You know what? I need to be on the baseball field. Was there something that hit you early on in that career, in that where you went? You know what? I got to get out. I got to get back on the field. I got to get dirt underneath my feet. Was there a moment you can point to?
0: I just remember being with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife um, of 33 years, and it's just been a a big piece of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember telling her, you know, I've watched some of these guys coaching and. I think I can be better than them. There you go. And and we were just walking into I I think we were walking into a mall and I said, I'm going back to school and I want to coach. <laughs> and you know, I was making a salary and we were we were actually we just got married, so we were already married and uh you know, you start looking at things and family and mortgages and all that. That's so right. you know, yeah. I had to have that Acceptance from her that that approval to basically go we can make this happen. That's it. Uh, that that was really cool to have her uh, accept that. Yeah,
1: all in right from the beginning. We have a couple moments in the show, David, where we pull back the curtain on, on really on yourself. You're inside the trust tree. Just just know that this is a this is a welcoming place. Um, but it, it's a place of transparency and honesty. And I think a really cool question we ask is that: Who were you as a young coach? And I think it is. Get as detailed as you want. What motivated you then, as a young your mid twenties coaching? What motivated that dude? Um, and then discuss your growth as a leader. How How's that really morphed into who you are today?
0: Well, let's kind of look at something quickly. When you talk about, first of all, we touched on it a little bit about going back to school and coaching, but really, what there there was a moment there, and you go, "What motivated me to coach?" And yeah. I never really knew. I never really knew that until probably within the last five years. And I really realized, I really realized that I coach because as a young kid, I lost my dad when I was 12 years old. And my dad was taught me everything you could learn at the age of 12. Mm -hmm. But I was in that middle school age and I had a middle school basketball coach that cared about me. Mm. And then I just, I remember uh, we left the public school system and went to St. Pius High School because of some of my best friends, dads, and families. And they encouraged my mom to send me that direction, send me and my brother. And um, we had that opportunity to go to a Catholic high school, and it was the best thing that ever happened to us. But the coaches in my life in high school cared about me. They made a difference. And then when I went to college and I played for Coach Walton, he didn't teach me a lot, in my opinion, about uh, how to get a lead off a of first or how to go catch a fly ball.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He just cared about us. And, and the thing that I learned with him is that um, he let us play, he let us be ourselves, uh, and he cared about us, and he actually ended up putting me to work later in life. So that that is really why I started coaching as I reflect. okay, um, Did you hold on to you, that when you it, jumped in?
1: Did you have that spirit within you when you when you am gonna do this? Was that the spirit that was motivating you?
0: No, I didn't even realize it until recently. That's awesome. That, okay. That's really why I that's really why I do it. Uh, I think I originally did it because. I didn't want to be in the business world. Yeah, very simply. <laughs> Honest, honestly, I wanted to wear shorts to work. I was going to say, I was tired of wearing slacks. <laughs> yeah, and so I go out and I'm like, this is fun. Mm. And I wasn't making any money, but I was coaching football, basketball, baseball. And it's like, it was an extension of my playing days. And then I started getting into the teaching of it and going, you know what? I can help some of these guys from my previous mistakes or. Uh, some past history, and I love to compete. And the competitiveness came out from the coaching aspect versus the player aspect, Mm. and I was able to share and reflect that with the team.
1: Well, you're like every coach that's gotten on this, David. I'm guessing that early on, when you look back at at maybe how you coached or the way you addressed the team or the way you stood in front of your guys – uh, I think all of us can share a chuckle in, in some of the things we said or the way we did it. Obviously, some of the things we taught. Can you discuss that? Like when you look back at yourself in those in those shoes, how have you grown as a leader to stand in front of men the way you do now and and lead the charge? How's that grown? How's that changed?
0: Oh, it's it's you just grow, you mature because you've had so many experiences. You have some. There's a different thought process. It's not Mm -hmm. it's not we gotta win today. That's that's so far removed now. It is about a process and how we how do we get to that point of being our best individually and as a team. Mm -hmm. I can just remember just when the result wasn't there, you know, I would get so mad and I would always have an after game meeting. (laughs) <laughs> and I started realizing that after game meeting became, you know, just a griping session. That's it. it became, and, and then it became, if we won, you know, it's a quick cheerleading se- session. Mm-hmm. And so what we started doing, and I learned this from coach Graham, and it's kind of a pro version of college baseball mm-hmm. is we don't meet after games. Yes. Uh, yep. Since I went to Rice university, we've never m- met after a game. Well, this coach really needed to get something off of his yeah. off of his brain, but <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and that, that happened a few times. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, what we would do is, the game was over. We would flush it, win or lose. Mm-hmm. Um, then we were able to go back the next day, take a look at video, kind of reassess the play. There's nothing worse than maybe getting on a player because he takes a called third, and you're wrong. And you're wrong because you don't have the information. And so now when you look at it and go, you know what? The ball's two balls out. I don't know if I'd have swung at it either. And so that builds a relationship with the player that he says, you know what? Coach believes in me. Yeah. He trusts that I'm not just up there taking a a, a pitch right down the middle because I'm, I'm afraid to fail. And so it, to me, it's always helped me. It's helped the support staff. It's helped the media. Um, so we play games, we eat in the clubhouse after night games, we go to the house full if we need to study, get a good night's sleep, do it again tomorrow. <laughs>
1: Love that. It literally just came up on our previous episode with Greg Brown from Nova Southeastern Division two, uh, 2016 national champion. That's exactly a conversation we had is, is how you just, you start to change. You start to prioritize, um, you know, really the relationship. But what that means is I can't go down there and chew on their ear. Cause a lot of times they're not listening. They're upset too. Or right. you win, say you went on a walk off, but you forget all the bad stuff that happened the first eight innings, and, and there wasn't a teaching right. point there. Uh, that's a good. That's right. Good we do
0: we do what we, we do what we call a, a. I just do it daily. It's basically a, a review and a preview. We'll do a review mm. of a previous game, and we preview in moving into the that day's game. The other that. thing you look at is that there's so many things you learn from. Other coaches and other stops, but some of it's negative, and mm-hmm. so you also mm-hmm. learn what you're not going to do. Now, mm-hmm. uh, if you ever run your program, um, you learn to trust your process. You, as a young coach, I, I as we're talking here, I think about as a young coach, I was a lot like a player. I wanted instant results. Yeah. As opposed to understanding process, being oh, patient, man. not being patient over. I'm still not very patient when we just ignore detail or things that we can control.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But much more patient of the result because uh, the result can control you if you allow it. We, we come out of the Arkansas series this year, we're 9-9, nine and nine and we're not a very good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really thought our players and, and our coaching staff did a great job of going, you know, we're a click away from being all right we came home played really well and you could just see our confidence take off so i thought that was uh that was a big learning curve for our staff as well to know that we have players that are motivated that want to win that want to do well and they're not trying to be as bad as they were yeah and so when you yeah <laughs> and when you can realize that and sometimes they're bad because they're not playing the game with the right mentality I felt like our mentality was right. We just weren't having good results. Mm-hmm. And so to me, there's a difference.
1: It was the game challenging your mentality, Dang. you know? Exactly. <laughs> do how, yeah. how much do we believe in this process? Um, I want to talk about a little bit about the state of Texas, and this is unique for me uh, growing up in Kentucky. So uh, I've been in Texas a lot, ran some coaching clinics, done some camps and those things, but I've never really spent enough time, and you spent the majority of your career and your life there in the state of Texas. How would you characterize uh, baseball inside the state, is, is there a style of play? What are the coaches like? like? For all the listeners that are around the country, not let alone the world, how would you characterize baseball inside the state of Texas?
0: I have such a, a pride about being the head coach of the University of Texas because, one, I'm a huge Texan. Sure. But when I look at that and I look at my history and understanding how many great coaches there are in high school baseball here, Uh, I think it's unfortunate so many places are there's so many things happening with players moving away from the uh, uh, the special feeling of playing for their school and the high school programs and moving into the select and summer ball and almost prioritizing that ahead of your high school baseball. And I'm not a proponent of that. Um, I think they both are critical in your development and i think you get opportunity in the summer you have to understand what the coaches in high school baseball deal with i mean they deal with kids make sure first of all they get to school on time they go to class they have to stay eligible mm-hmm. uh dealing with girlfriends dealing with personal things in their lives um from economically based uh people that have money to those that that struggle um, so there's so many things in trying to gel those kids together and create a team. And you can't recruit, so yeah. you have to really coach them up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some really great programs that overachieve because of great coaching. And to me, that has been a reflection of what's happening with a lot of our programs in the Division One level.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, if you look around, I feel like we've had two very good years. Uh, but we're talking about A&M. TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor. I mean, these teams are good. The University mm-hmm. of Houston, Todd's doing a great job. And then you look at some of the mid majors, uh, Sam Houston State, which I felt like when we were there for three years was one of the greatest places that I've ever coached and a great proximity, yeah. um, 70 miles outside of Houston. And so they're getting great players. And UT, so we just got a ton of outstanding programs. And don't take an off day on a Tuesday or you're going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> There's, There's no doubt.
1: doubt. There's no doubt.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Oh, man. So I, I think right now the stability of the of, of baseball in Texas is as good as it's been. Uh, I will say there is a very stable mentality here, but, but I think it's just such a credit to so many great coaches. Um, and I think it's only getting better. You know, the West Coast gets so much credit for being great defenders, and I think they are, and they're very good communicators on the field.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think we have so many talented defenders. Sometimes I don't think they prioritize defense enough. Mm-hmm. And so in our program, if you're going to play, you have to play defense because we pitch and play defense. Mm-hmm. I understand you got to score runs, but if you can prevent the other team and minimize that, yeah. you, you're always in every game. And so... Uh, I think I don't I don't think there's a true style of play other than we still have power arms and I see some of that even coming back. I think we had a little lull where we lost some of that mm-hmm. those power arms. Mm-hmm. But I just think that we play a very solid brand of baseball throughout the state. I don't think uh there's a lot of flash. In other words, something we talk about in our program is much more about substance than style Yeah. And I think that runs throughout the state.
1: I could see that. Um especially watching you guys play that that, that definitely shines through. Um coming to UT, now this is this is a unique question. The, the transition for you and your staff. Um I, I'd like to think, you know, there's definitely a microscope on on Sam Houston, especially within that community. There's definitely a microscope at Tulane and you guys had a great run there. But coming to Texas is a different brand of baseball, it's a different different microscope. Um, how has it transitioned for you and your staff? And then once you got there and you really started to understand what could be done and and what was in front of you, what's been your vision from the program from day one?
0: I can honestly say that, and I'll go back to my, my own age. If I were 35 to 40 years old and I got this job, I'd have been a very nervous puppy. (laughs) I would have been very nervous about making sure I did everything right. Uh, Dot my I's crossed my T's and, and really just try to try to fit in and be perfect. And mm-hmm. honestly, those stops have made this move so much easier. Yeah. The transition from Sam Houston to Tulane, to Tulane to Texas. And one, one, one common denominator is we absorbed three teams that are very, that were very similar. Mm-hmm. They were all fragile. Uh, they weren't very good when we got there. And so, I think when you take over a program that has struggled in the, uh, in the couple of previous years, mm-hmm. then you have a team that's ready to go. Yeah. The, the newness is good. Whether, uh, whether it's, it's Coach Garrido, who you know we all love and respect Coach and he's the greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last couple of years, they, they were fragile. It took over for Rick Jones at Tulane. And the same thing, Mark Johnson at Sam Houston, those are great coaches. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, going into that next year, the, the team was just kind of beat up and picked to, to, to finish in the middle of the road. So, first of all, I think that makes the transition easier. Um, secondly, when you're able to bring your entire staff with you, yeah. it, gives you it gives you such comfort to know that, you know you can deal with the administrative stuff, and know that our catchers are getting the work that that we've done the last few years, and I don't have to worry about terminology, how they're communicating, the outfielders, the infielders, what we're doing with the pitching staff. So to be able to bring all three of those guys, and I'm including Phil Hague,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: because because he grew under me and the on the pitching side at Sam Houston State, and now. I truly believe that he is an up and coming guy and I'm his resource more than him doing my legwork. Uh, so there's been a, there's been a turn there. Sean Allen is, you know, Sean's a coach that's going to have opportunity whenever he's ready. It's just going to be the right time. And then I think the same with Phil, um, Phil Miller does an incredible job with our outfielders and our catchers and, a day-to-day batting practice, just so many little things that you can just know there's a comfort it's getting done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that allows me to manage that allows me to see the big picture and you need to be good. You need to be in a position at Texas to see the big picture because, you know, it can consume you if you allow it. Mm -hmm. But the one thing since we've gotten here is we've really embraced the expectations. We know there's great expectations, that's, that's why we came here. And ultimately, our, our goal is really, everybody's going to say, you know, sure, I want to win a national championship. I want to win multiple national championships. But at the same time, I think it's best to say that we want to be in a position to have that opportunity. And if that team is good enough and gets some breaks and stays healthy, maybe we win a couple. Maybe we don't. And we're still a very, very good team. I mean, one of the greatest coaches in our industry, Mike Martin, who has done tremendous things at Florida State, still is missing that one prize. But I don't think that identifies who Coach Martin is. Yeah, that's right. Because he's a great leader. He's a great. He's a great coach. Um, so there's there's things here that can consume you if you allow it. Mm-hmm. But you got to stay true to yourself. Um, you got to stay true to who you are, and what you believe in, in your system, and you got to believe in kids. I
1: love it. You know, we have a saying on this show, David, uh, certified audio gold, and that was a moment where we know there's expectations and we just simply embrace them. That's awesome. Thanks for offering that. You brought up Sean and you brought up Philip, who, again, they've been with you for the last seven years, and Phil also has been with you the entire time as well. When you think about how unique that is in college baseball, I mean, this is, again, an industry of a lot of times looking over the fence for the next opportunity. And like you mentioned earlier, the time has to be right for your guys, but they've they've walked this path with you the entire time. How special is that? Again, you talked about it allows you to manage because you, you trust completely the guys around you. But that's such a unique dynamic. Can you pull back the curtain on, on that relationship inside your coaching staff?
0: Well, I think uh, – I, I hope we're able to exemplify that on stage in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, I don't ever want to hold – those guys back I I felt like being at Rice for nine years probably the last three I'm like I really feel like it's time for me to take a shot at this
2: Mm.
0: and I just wanted it to be the right opportunity at the right time not only for for me but for Rice and for where I was going and I had a great opportunity Bobby Williams gave me at Mm. Sam Houston State but I just don't want to hold these guys back and the great thing about it is I have it because their loyalty has said, Coach, we're, we started, I mean, trying to figure out how we wanted our uniforms to look and all the way to our philosophy at Sam Houston State. And we just continue that at each stop. And I think they have gotten better and better and made me better because of their knowledge and their passion of being great teachers. And then just the four of us together, it's really tough to beat. Probably one of the most unique staffs in the country when you look at you know the instant gratification of get mine and uh, the the understanding for me was a young coach and going through this process and it took me you know 20 plus years before I got my first head division one job I mean Sean's been in the business over 20 years Mm -hmm. and played for me a senior year at at Houston Um, and so to see his maturation and to see how I know once he makes that move and it's the right move for he and Stephanie, when that happens, he's going to be great at it. But what I love about it is that our guys are happy at the university of Texas and want to be a big part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really just been just a great marriage. They're like, Sean's like a little brother. Phillip's like yeah. a son Phils like a son. Uh, and, and, but, but we're not passive. I mean, I have sure. to be aggressive at times still. And at times, you know, their thought process sometimes as a young coach or as a, a position player, sometimes can get tunnel visioned yep. just like I can. I can do some things that i got to improve on, but these guys are all in when it comes to the university of Texas, the loyalty for me uh, and my wife and the loyalty for, be as good as we can be with the four of us. Mm.
1: So when you step back and take that 30,000 foot overview of the program, what's the future hold for UT baseball?
0: Well, I'll say this. Um, the future is incredible right now. And it started when we got here of realizing the 2017 group had been recruited and we were very small with that group and we got, beat up pretty good on the, in the draft, and so we had a very small class, but we had some late additions, and we had some JC additions. Mm-hmm. This 2018 freshman group was just ranked in the top 10 um, in the recruiting class. Yes. and I do like the fact that they're ranking that on the class that actually showed up That's right. versus versus just the class that signed because yep. uh, there's a difference there. Yeah. So <laughs> That's I thought true. we were... The thing you have to look at in recruiting, too, is that there's there's two things that we look at before anything happens. What's the need of our team, and what's the availability of scholarship?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so what can we offer? And if you got three returning catchers and they're all good, you're probably not going to recruit a catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of dispersing that money in the right direction. I thought we re- did a great job of identifying pitching. We've got very good young talented 2018 freshmen that need to really grow up quickly, Mm -hmm. but we returned seven of our nine starters. um, And so you've got some experience on the field and some youth on the mound, and it's just going to have to expedite. So I think early on, you're going to look at some young freshmen going, They may be a little self-doubt early on. Mm -hmm. You know, we know you can get the high school hitter out, be the same guy, the pitch is relevant make quality pitches Mm -hmm. and then just getting past that point of you know i've got to be perfect and now you're pitching in three one counts because the guy's got a full beard you know it doesn't matter (laughs) right sure a a good pitch is a good pitch and just try to keep repeating them and that's what we talk about (laughs) Uh, big difference So there's going to be yeah there's going to (laughs) be some growth some learning curve and and some things that we'll probably go through but i really like the mentality of this this group. Mm. I thought it was interesting because I told the coaches yesterday that I felt like our returning players have zero arrogance about them after coming out of Omaha. Mm. And it's exactly the way you want them to be. We have guys that are hungry. They got a taste of it. You know, in 2018, we went to Omaha, and we had myself, Drew Bishop, and Josh Sawyer, the only three people in the clubhouse that ever competed there mm-hmm. now we're returning a full coaching staff 20 returning players i mean so there's a different mentality again we're not guaranteed anything but it is refreshing to know that these guys have had a taste of that and now they really truly understand what they're playing for yeah. um then you look at the big picture of what chris del connie brings to the university of texas and and you look at the resources at the university of texas and we get labeled at times that We have everything, but honestly, the best resource here is the people that work here Um, because the people here, people that have been through different universities, worked their way up, and now this is where they want to be. And so they're very good at what they do, and they're not looking for the next job. And I think one of the things that Chris does such a great job with is promoting everybody within the department that our job is to make the coaches job better and easier and we work for them and the student-athlete mm-hmm. and, and that's been the common theme and it's it is really starting to pay dividends early on. it's
1: oh, outstanding you know I want to make one point before we move on um, and this is for any coach listening the 16 year old beard is much different than the 22 year old beard and I think so we just need to <laughs> bring that to our programs bring that to your pitching staff.
0: <laughs> no doubt no. I mean the full Full beard versus those, those little patches. <laughs> exactly. <they're different.
1: laughs> oh, all right, David, I get this vibe, man, that, that you're part of our, our community in the sense that um, you're a lifelong learner. You're a guy that, that challenges yourself, you know, thinks differently, doesn't get stuck in ruts. And when you do, you, you have, again, you have a great staff around you to pull you out or you pull yourself out. Is there something you could point to? Maybe it was this fall and and individuals, and you guys are starting team uh, this weekend, or maybe it was last season, maybe a point in Omaha where something happened on the field that really challenged your thoughts on a certain point or a certain opinion inside the game. Can you point to anything?
0: Gosh, I just always go back to players. I mean, the game is just so fascinating, Mm -hmm. and the game is, you learn something different or something happens, and played my whole life going in my 30th year of coaching and you just scratch your head. Like I've never seen that happen. Uh, so <laughs> sure. <laughs> those things happen frequently, but for me, it's, I don't know if this really answers it. It's kind of, I got a couple of things I could comment on, but to see a guy like a Jake McKenzie, an Andy McGuire, a Josh Sawyer, a Parker Joe Robinson come in and absolutely contribute to our team Mm -hmm. when they weren't very good as younger players or they went through injury or they persevered because of a conflict and they could they just just weren't gonna make the team or they had to transfer, come back, and then you got a guy like Jake McKenzie was an ultimate utility player and then becomes the everyday first baseman as a walk on petroleum engineer, and you see him go from being a little bit reserved at times in his leadership to becoming a man, becoming mm-hmm. a guy who he can become because his leadership came out with his confidence. And when you see the confidence of a young man, I mean, I'll tell you how confident he is. He hit in our nine hole and said that he was the third three hole hitter in the lineup. Yeah. That's how he, that was his perspective. <laughs> That's a great of perspective. <laughs> right. He he wasn't a nine hole hitter. Yeah. Um, But for me, it just, I, there's so many intricate parts of the game. You know, you can always look at, well, the power arms are just happening more frequently than, I mean, everybody rolls out of bed at the 195 mm-hmm. now. Um, And then the power in lineups, but the power in lineups also have created some strikeouts. And now can we get that, maintain that power and maybe uh, do away with some of those strikeouts? Those things Mm -hmm. concern you. But it's just, I just think that it is a unique game that you're going to see something different daily. One thing in our industry I would like to say is we, in my opinion, need to be careful. Of not taking the purity out of the game because we're overly worried about safety. And we're starting to see that a little bit in the NFL. And yeah, we have to be concerned about the well being of our student athletes, but not to the point that we destroy the purity of the game. And that's what I want to make sure that uh, we continue as we go through rule changes that we take everything in account that is the best for the game all the way around.
2: Mm.
1: That's really good. And a couple of points I want to go back and touch on if I can coach is uh, number one, when I roll out of bed, it's still 52. So, um, I'm working, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. Um, but the, early on, you're talking about those, those three guys, man. And here's, here's a really cool dynamic in, in terms of, um, how, how to shorten that to what challenged you, what challenged you is that the developmental process is different for each guy. And more than that, how important the mental aspect is. Talk about again, dudes that didn't have any any reason to be confident, but found a way through fortitude to come out and, and really shove for you, or, or you know contribute for you. That's a really neat dynamic.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andy McGuire, Josh Sawyer, and Parker Joe Robinson was the back end of our bullpen, and we just inserted freshmen in and out of there to uh, get them in and out and see where they can contribute for us and let them grow as we go. Mm-hmm. But Parker Joe. And Andy McGuire both changed arm slots because Mm -hmm. they wanted to help this team win and knew that that's the only way they're going to have an opportunity to pitch for us. And then, I mean, if you look at a guy like Parker Joe's numbers and you realize that where he was as a freshman, sophomore and where he finished his last year, just a remarkable strides. Mm -hmm. And I've contributed that to him. I contributed to, uh, Coach uh, we we just spent a lot of time with this young man. But the thing is, is that he still had to do it. But the only reason why he was good is not because he threw 90-plus. He had great confidence. Yeah. And he started yeah. realizing that if he trusted his stuff, that he's going to get people out. Um, wow. And then, you know, Jay McKenzie was a defensive first baseman that ended up being the second-best hitter on our team in the postseason behind Cody Clemens.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just incredible. So when I assess the, the the team from the previous year, and I go through each individual, and then I look at, why was Cody Clemens so good this year? He was a career two forty two hitter his first two years. Junior year, he hits 351 24 home runs, and 72 RBIs. And people say, where did they come from? He just made a very small, simple adjustment in his swing. And then he gained a little success. And with the success, he gained a lot of confidence. So the confidence fed off of the success. The success fed off off of the confidence. Now he became a disciplined hitter because he knew what he could and couldn't hit. Mm -hmm. Just the growth of watching that happen was why I love doing this job. And now he ends up being the first pick as a third rounder for Detroit and if he'd have done it earlier he probably would have even been picked sooner in the draft but the point being it's just watching that consistency from start to finish because of just believing in himself Mm, that's really good
1: you opened this up earlier but I got to ask more more poignantly how do you define success at the end of the day when you put your head on your pillow what does success
0: mean to you win of course right (laughs) exactly I knew yeah no doubt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you work at Texas, it's when or you're not successful. <laughs>
1: hey, I'll, I'll give and you, you one. You've got to go somewhere else. The great, great Texas football coach, uh, Coach Royal, and I'll never forget hearing him say this. Uh, I was talking with Coach Garrido, and he said, uh, and I'm sure you've been, you know, say it gets hot in the kitchen, uh, but you've never been in a kitchen like this one. <laughs> you know, can't stand the heat, never. get out. You know, it's, it's a different animal.
0: It, that's interesting you say that because Augie and I spent two Decembers in Singapore together with... He and I and about four other coaches mm-hmm. and working for this uh this group for about five days and sitting under a tent and we're visiting about the University of texas and and he's telling me all the pros and cons and on, he's like, this is a problem, and this is a problem, and this is a problem." But if you ever had the opportunity to get the job, you would take it. you got to take it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And no doubt. No doubt. I mean, when you look at defining success, I just think it's interesting because when you can truly look back and there are no regrets, Mm -hmm. I think that's successful. Mm. All right. Take a player that doesn't reach his potential, but he still stayed within. he still did things that helped the team win. Yeah. And he struggled, but he, he just struggled because physically it just didn't happen that year. Or you take a player that got beat out and made the guy that beat him out better because of his desire for the team to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get a group of players that, that really give up their individual accolades for the team and play very unselfish. And then you see it happen and they win. That's success. I mean, for us, for us to go out there and overachieve and have zero regrets, it's a very successful, very successful year for us. It's one of my favorite answers. Um, Daily
1: habits or routines? David, you got anything that that you'll expose about yourself, the things you do that maybe you think help kind of move you down the track, help make you successful, or their resources you would share, their books or their podcasts or things that you do that kind of accentuate your ability to keep learning?
0: Uh, daily habits or routines, um, I mean, in season, I'm pretty day to day. I get up early, I check on injuries. I go watch film, I uh, do lineups, uh, float around the building, check on coaches. I've got one thing that I have to do. I don't know if I, this is really what you're looking for. Cause I was thinking a little bit more superstition, but I have to do the lineup physically and put it in front of coaches' lockers or their office, and I tack it on the board, and I also go to the dugout and tack it on the board. Yeah. Why I do that, I have no (laughs) idea, except it tells me it's game day. That's it. I love that. And I do it early. I do it early. Um, Out of season, I'm very informal. Try to relax a little bit, not be as structured as we're doing our jobs. Okay. Um, So kind of the downtime of November, December allows us to do that um but as far as routines i I just i really like visiting with our staff there's there's one thing i do every single day in practice especially it's much more noticeable in the fall and then in the early spring before we start playing games is that my goal is to go out and as soon as practice is over I go straight to my office and I do the practice schedule for the next day Hmm. because I do that because things that are on my mind from that day are fresh. It allows me to to have a thought process of an hour of getting things detailed the way I want it for the next day. And then it frees me up the next day to be available for coaches, players, administration. I don't want to ever be surprised going into – I don't ever want to go into practice and look at my paper and go, what are we going to do today? Oh. So it's my goal. If something happened to me that night, the team is going to, you know, go challenge and then we're going to run it just like I had planned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to free myself up because I think it's important in a leadership role, not to just be bearing your head in your desk, mm-hmm. but be available to, for the people that need you. Our trainer comes and sees me, our equipment manager, Uh, Drew Bishop, our baseball office's day-to-day, we're talking scheduling, travel. So I want to have that freedom to really give them my true attention, but also don't shortchange our practice or our players.
1: That's a great takeaway. Is there a humbling moment that you have that maybe you you can still reflect on right now and get that that knot in your gut? Is there a moment you could point to in coaching where, uh, you know, things just really brought you back down to earth? Can you point to something?
0: Oh, man i mean every day as a player <laughs> i can go back to my playing days of being pulled in the middle of the game for one of the guys from one of the guys i have so much respect for i misplayed a ball in center field and it went straight over my head and three aggies scored and i got pulled in the inning i'm like man i'm not a very good baseball player uh, I got pulled in the middle of an inning but uh you know really as a coach um uh, I think you're only as good as that last day. You think, mm. hey, man, we were really good today. And, and look at what we did. And this guy did this. And, man, this guy fits lights out. And you start thinking, right, we're a pitching and defensive team. And we're winning low-scoring games. We're pitching some shutouts. And then you roll into a weekend, and you just get slapped in the face and can't get anybody out. Yeah. And we had, one, we, we had a, a huge moment of that. At K State this year, um, they they just beat the snot out of us, and then at Arkansas, we gave up 27 runs in two games in midweek games, and you kind of you have a little self doubt and yep. start feeling sorry for yep. yourself, and that's the thing you have to overcome and realize those adversities happen in the course of a season and pick yourself up and go.
1: Mm-hmm. Any hidden talents or hobbies? Anything you'll offer, Coach? <laughs>
0: Well, it's real hidden, one of those, okay, and see my coaches are all very good cooks, and they take a lot of pride in it, okay, and I'm actually a better cook than they give me credit for, but I'm also smart because when I'm at their house, they don't think I can cook exactly so I eat their <laughs> food, and they do all the work well, it's out now <laughs> I really, really and we trying to get settled here in Austin. So we're about finished up at the house, but yeah. I really enjoy cooking, uh, okay. outside. I can't stand cooking inside. Uh, okay. and there's, I don't have any major dishes. I just, I like to learn a little bit and that's one of my goals to get better at it. Um, so it's really hidden and it's really hidden deep down in there. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to pull it out. Um, uh, my, I, I have some, some very conventional hobbies, uh, I like to play golf yeah. uh don't play in season I play a handful of times in the summer uh play a little bit November December. I love the beauty of the golf course and yeah. so it's very refreshing and relaxing and i don't i'm not very I don't get too competitive in golf because I know I'm not very good
2: there you go but
0: i love I love playing and I like to take a couple of good fishing trips um but probably a couple of people don't know is I, I like to piddle around my house and do some gardening and just oh. the mindless mindless sweat is, is kind of fun for me. I, it kind of sounds silly, but and I look at real estate every day and hmm. it's just something that intrigues me and kind of flip through the pages and look at something every day if it's in the hill country or if it's, uh, you know, in town.
1: Wow. Okay. Those are the first time answers. Those are awesome. Um, can you go into funniest stories or anything that pops out to you? Just the, you know, again, in the locker room and the dugout on the bus, what would you offer?
0: <laughs> well, there's a couple. I probably can't say mm-hmm. the entire story. Yep. Um, but I will say we, <laughs> this one, you just actually reminded me of this one. We were at Texas state our first year at Texas and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we blow a three run lead in the ninth because coach Pierce made a dumb decision and tried to get a guy right in the ninth instead of sticking with the guy in the eighth that threw seven pitches like that to get three outs. And yeah, I outsmarted yeah. myself and we gave up four runs and got beat. And so we're on the bus and we're coming back home and we're mad. And it's an hour and maybe an hour drive and we're in, bumper to bumper traffic yep. and it's dead silent on the bus, except the bus driver. And he's on the phone talking to his buddies and, and he's recognizing them in, in the traffic and he's pointing them out and they're talking about their fishing trip. And the guy tells him, Hey, I need to call you back. And he goes, sure, no problem. And every single time he would talk, coach Hague would just crush a plastic bottle Yeah, and it was just cringing. And the coaches were just hitting the front of the <laughs> of the seat. And we were just so mad because we just blew a game. Mm-hmm. And finally, he gets ready to call the guy back. And I just say, hey, listen, bud. You're not going to ever talk on that phone again until we get off of this bus. And as mad as we were, we all kind of started laughing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I thought it was a pretty interesting pretty interesting trip. <laughs> Believe me, as much uh, it's more funnier now than it mm-hmm. was then. <laughs> But it was interesting. Sure, I will say too. I'm gonna give you one more. All right, I I probably got fired at least three times in the dugout when I worked for Wayne Grimm, <laughs> Um because he he would blame us for everything. But yeah. uh, it, it'll be a different day, a different time to tell the 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 long version of it. But we had a lot of fun, and in hindsight, it wasn't. It it's funny now, but it wasn't that funny then. That's awesome! Oh man, I love this story.
1: And I, you've mentioned some of these names. I'm guessing they're gonna they're gonna come back. But it's a great opportunity for you to really give a shout out to the folks that were really influential on you throughout your baseball career, playing and coaching. Your personal Mount Rushmore. Who are the three or four people you throw up there, David?
0: I have to say, my brother-in-law first and foremost. Okay. And, and it wasn't baseball; it was sport, and it was just treating people the right way. Gary Kubiak. Uh, it's been incredible inspiration for me. Mm. Um, I'd also like to mention Coach Walton. Uh, Roland Walton allowed me to play. He, he didn't judge me any other way except you're a good player. Go play mm. and enjoy the game of baseball. And and I've got to also say that Coach Graham and Augie, in two different ways, really, yep. just being on Coach Graham for nine years um, and Augie just inspirationally from afar as well as getting to know him uh, in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then so many guys that I've just spent time with uh, and I always reflect back to guys that I worked with. Uh, I loved working with Rainer Noble and Todd Whitting when we were at Houston. Pat Hallmark and Mike Taylor, two of my best friends now. Pat's the head coach at uh, Sacred Heart and and, no, excuse me, Incarnate Word in San Antonio Mm -hmm. and Mike's the assistant at Baylor and then and it's really ironic that they're both an hour and 15 minutes from me. Yeah. I sit right in the middle of them and neither one of them have come to see me yet. So am <laughs> a little disappointed in that, but, uh, just little things though. I worked with the Astros for seven years and, and Terry Collins was awesome to me. Uh, Dr. Gene Coleman taught me baseball sports specific lifts. And I spent summers with him of just going through running drills and proper way of lifting and just, so many things that you just pick up along the way. If you will just open your eyes and pay attention and, and, and sometimes you got to just be quiet and pay attention. Oh, so
1: good, that's a dime right there. Last two questions I got for you and, I, and you've been around some really great players, some really great people and mentioned a few of them there. Uh, you've watched great teammates. You've watched these people you know, roam your locker room. If the qualities of the best people arose to the top, how would you describe those qualities?
0: Well, if we're talking about player, I mean, in the quality of a player, I love a player that has had a natural background. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with getting lessons or working in a cage, but I like guys that just kind of have some toughness about them, that mm-hmm. their hands are strong and they, they learned how to hit because they paid attention and, and then there's some natural movement that they have and they're not afraid to fail.
2: Yeah.
0: And they have. Very little clutter in their head, and just when you look at that, they're passionate but they maintain control. Uh, but I've never seen a hitter any good if he had a cluttered head. Yeah, guys that had yeah. too much thought. Um, some of the best hitters I've ever seen: Chris Coquard, Austin Davis, the 2003 team, and and Vince Sinisi. These guys. Well, they got in the box to do damage, and they thought they were the best guy in the country, and they was the only person that should be in the box, and that to me always stuck out. Some of those types of guys that were always, um, well, or I felt like were great players just because they were just so naturally talented, they never panicked. Anthony Rendon played for us at, at San, uh, excuse me, at, at Rice, and gosh, he was so good, and he was good as a freshman. Uh, he was like had an all all America mentality mm. when he was a freshman, yeah. and, and yeah. you see why he's playing every day now. Brock Holt was only with us for one year, but you you see what an ultimate utility player can do for you. And then Cody and Casey Clemens, I mean, just what they do with uh, with their confidence, but their their mentality that you know I'm gonna beat you, and I like that. And when I look at guys that played with me, I look at guys like uh, my best friend, Scott McGee never played in college baseball, but probably was the best player in our high school. Um, and then when I was playing at the university of Houston, John out who's the head coach at orange coast college in California. He's from out there played right. Benny Mota from Corpus Christi played left and I played center and there's still two of my best friends, but They were just some of my – I thought they were great teammates. I thought they were really, really solid players. Mm, That's so good.
1: Last question I got for you, man. I'm going to let you go crush your day. But when you think about – Two things. The best advice you've ever been given. Like We all kind of have that one mantra that's in the background of our of our thoughts of the best advice that we still hold on to. But then what else do you have, man, for all the coaches that are paying attention to this? And, David, it's youth to high school to travel to college to professional.
0: Let me look at a couple of things here. First of all, I don't think you ought to identify yourself in the game, but uh, but more so as who you are. Not The game doesn't identify who you are. Mm-hmm. The game is what you do. It's a part of you – but it can't be your identification of who you are. And I think you have to stay humble. And I think you always have to be yourself. Um, For me, and I've experienced this and it's paid dividends. It really has, but you have to be willing to make the tough decisions and you have to do them for the right reasons. You have to do it with dignity for a, a team or for a player, but you have to do it for the right reasons. And, and, Sometimes it, it hurts people, Mm -hmm. but you have to do it because you know, it's going to make that player or the team better. And my last piece of advice is something that one of my former coaches gave me. And I, if my coaches are listening or some of my good friends, they know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, When you understand, when you look at high school, summer ball, all the things that are happening as a coach, you have to understand that parents want the best eight players on the field in their son. Mm-hmm. So think about that. You know the best eight players in their son. I coached my son. We have tunnel vision. We have blinders on. The best thing you can do is coach the team and do it for the right reasons for every single player on the field. I can validate that. My son didn't play or start for me until midway through his junior year, mm-hmm. uh, and he had to earn it. And I think – when players earn what they get, uh, it's much more rewarding. So when you look at one thing that we'll talk about frequently is um, I will guarantee every player in our program an opportunity, and that is it. Once a player becomes the starter, he's earned the right to start. Now he earns the right to fail. Yeah. And what that means for me is You go 0 for 8, but you earned it through the fall, through the early spring, through the first three weeks of the season. And if that player is looking over his shoulder thinking that he's going to be pulled out of the game because he went 0 for 8, you're not getting the max out of it. So he's already earned that right. Let him be that.
1: (laughs) You came in hot today. This was awesome. (laughs) What a fantastic conversation. Uh, Coach Pierce, man, thanks for carving out some time. I know you got plenty on your plate, but – uh, for us to connect with a loyal ABCA member, have a terrific conversation. Again, just like two dudes in the dugout on buckets, man. What a fantastic opportunity for us. David, thanks for jumping on with us, my man. We wish you and UT the best of luck, and we look forward to seeing you in Dallas, my friend.
0: All right. Look forward to it, and uh, thanks for having me. Welcome, horns.
1: Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the american baseball coaches association our job is to serve coaches around the world so let us know how we can help you out head over to our website abca.org if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity you can also follow us on facebook and twitter at abca 1945 if you want to reach out to me directly do that through twitter at coach sheets three or by email sheets s-h-e-e-t-s at abca.org we'd love to hear from our loyal members we'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball huge thanks to the sponsor of our dugout cheddar shows our great partners over at rawlings if you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity head over to their website rawlings.com that's r-a-w-l-i-n-g-s.com and thanks again guys for your support As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our calls on the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.